Well, if you, uh, if you have a Bible, you can start turning to, to Psalm 85. That's where we'll be. Um, if you're a kid and you didn't grab one of the Green Kids Connects um, in your way and you want to go grab one of those, that's um, cool. Help you follow along uh, the sermon on more on, on your level. Um, but just one, uh, one announcement um, this morning, which is uh, kind of our holiday service times. Um, so we just uh, changed service times on you, and you're like, all right, 9, 10, 30. We're, we're, fo- we're, we're getting that together. But uh, for Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and New Year's Day, um, we will be meeting in a different location. The reason uh, Shawnee Mission Schools um, has a policy where they don't let their school be used on major holidays, um, as, as someone who, you know, who understands why I'd want a holiday off, um, I, that's totally understandable to us. And so we will be moving um, for Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and New Year's Day. We'll be meeting at our old location, um, the North Campus of Maranatha Christian Academy. It's 63rd and Lackman. Um, if you are like writing that down, you'll get plenty of emails and communications and Google Maps in the days to come that will tell you right where that is. For those of you who didn't meet with us um, in that location, um, but Christmas Eve, we'll have two services at 3.30 and, and 5, and we'd encourage you. Um, Christmas Eve is the service that's uh, most attended by people who don't go to church. So if you have friends who maybe have, if, might be interested in church or, or, or you've never asked, that's a good service to invite people um, to. So Christmas Eve, 3.30 and 5 at 63rd and Lackman. Um, and then Christmas Day and New Year's Day, we're going to do one service at 10 a.m., um, those two Sundays. So we just blew your mind. That's in your weekly or your monthly update. Um, we this is one of the great things about church, right? Is we're flexible, and it's you know that's how we roll here at, at the Shawnee Mission campuses. It's just you never know what's going to happen next week because we don't know either. Um, but uh, but we hope you'll you'll join us over those holiday um, services. Um, this morning, like I said, we're in Psalm 85. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there. Um, but here, um, now the word of the Lord out of Psalm 85. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what the Lord What God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not return back to folly. For surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. God, I, I look around the world. There are a lot of things unsure, a lot of things I don't know. Um, but I can know you. We can know who you are because you have spoken to us. You have revealed yourself to us. And so would you let Psalm 85 show us a glimpse of who you are? And we pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the holidays are a noisy and chaotic time of year. That if you go shopping, stores are at their craziest this, this time of year. That it was, it was almost a year ago to the day. Uh, one of my favorite places to go in the world is Trader Joe's. Um, I love that store. And so I drove the 30 minutes to Trader Joe's um, on a Sunday afternoon. And I, I walked in and I saw how many people were in Trader Joe's. 
and I walked right back out and drove 30 minutes home. I wanted nothing to do with, with that. That our homes are, are more busier, more chaotic this time of year. It was funny, this week among our staff, someone who was in their 30s had their in-laws come and visit last week, and he just reflected on the fact he was glad his house was now empty of house guests. Um, to which a staff member who's in their 50s who had their kids and grandkids over for the week reflected on how glad he was that his kids and grandkids were out of his house. So the feeling was mutual. Right? We complain about, about noise and busyness this time of, of year, but do we really want quiet? I mean, we say we want it, that we want quiet, we want peace, but in those moments, at least for me, when I actually can have quiet and peace, those moments in my car late at night, I always turn on more noise. I turn on the radio. I turn on a podcast. I turn on the television. I reach for my phone. And so I'm reminded of something that Louis C.K., um, a comedian, said on Conan a couple years back. I, I talked about this in a few sermons uh, or a few months um, back, but there's something else in this moment uh, uh, that, that Louis C.K. talked about that I want to highlight this morning about why he, he doesn't want his kids to have cell phones. Um, so take a look. The thing is, I, you need to build an ability to just be yourself and not be doing something. That's what the phones yes. are taking away, yes. is the ability to just sit there like this. That's being a person, right? Yes. No one can, they gotta, uh, you gotta check. Because, there, you know, underneath everything in your life, there's that thing, that empty, forever empty. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> that, yes. Yes. Yes, I, yes. Yes, Just I know that, what you're that talking knowledge about. that it's all for nothing and you're alone. You know, it's down there. And sometimes when things clear away, you're not watching it, you're in your car and you start going, oh, no, here it comes that I am alone. Like it starts to visit on you. You know, just the sadness. Yes. Life is tremendously sad just by, you know, being in it. And so you're driving and then you go, uh, that's why we text and drive. I look around, pretty much 100% of people driving are texting. Yes. And they're killing, everybody's murdering each other with their cars. Yes. But people are willing to risk taking a life and ruining their own because they don't want to be alone for a second. I love, that last line hits me. We, we, we pull, and I do that, right? I get to a red light, and me and one of our senior pastors talking about this, and I, I check my email. It's like, wh why? Why, would I, why do I reach for my phone? And Luis C.K., I think he's, he's right about some things there where it's, I don't want to be alone. I don't want to have a moment to think or to rest or to be, to be quiet. And for the first time, really, in human history, we, we can live in an existence where you never have to be alone. You never have to be bored. There's always a distraction available to you. There's always something else to reach for to, to give you that feeling of connectedness. And so we're caught in this tension where the noise around us, it wears us out. The chaos wears us down, but, but we need it. It gives us something. Right? For, for Louis C.K., who's an atheist, it covers his, his feeling, however wrong in, in, my, in my view, that, that it's all for nothing, he's alone. Right? For us Christians, that, that connectedness covers the fact that maybe there's a God trying to break through into our lives. But we know we need peace, but we can't step away from the chaos. And so if, if we really want peace... A word that gets thrown around a lot, especially this time of year, how can we experience it? How can we have it? How does Christmas shed light on how you and I can have a life of peace? Well, Psalm 85 will, will help us. So we're spending this Advent season looking at the prime themes of the Christmas story. Um, hope, peace, love, and, and joy. 
And we're doing that through the Hebrew psalm book, through the psalms. And Psalm 85, it's a psalm that directs us toward peace. Toward the unique peace that, in particular, the Christmas story offers us. And if we want that peace, we need to wrestle through three questions here in Psalm 85. The, the one, why, why are we stuck in the chaos? Two, what, what is it that we need for peace? And three, how do we, how do we get it? So first, why, why are we stuck in, in, in the noise, in the chaos? The, my, my tendency is to explain my chaotic life by my circumstances. That, that I have three kids under the age of five. Um, 1.5 of those three kids is potty trained at this point. Um, I'm in, in year two of starting a, a church that, that didn't exist um, two years ago, so there's lots of, um, of work around that. I haven't really been sleeping um, over the last month because I've been just reflecting on all the joy that it was for the Cubs to have won the World Series um, a month ago. Right? So I, I tend to, to reflect my chaos, the lack of peace around circumstances. And so when I think of peace, I tend to think of just an ideal state where all those circumstances are, are different, right? I remember back in high school when I could play golf like every day in the summer, um, whenever I wanted to. I remember back to the early days of when Missy and I were married with no kids and we could go on dates whenever we, we wanted to. Or I think of a future, some future moment when all my kids are potty trained and I no longer wipe you-know-what anymore. <laughs> right? I, I dream of having a building where we don't come in and, and do the work of setting up and tearing down each week, and I would just ask, is that how you think of, of peace, is a change of circumstances? Is, is it a different, um, different parameters around your life? Because in Psalm 85, the peace here is not coming from a change in circumstances. It's, it's coming from somewhere else. And it takes it till verse 8 to get there, so we have to walk to verse 8 to get there. But, but Psalm 85, it was a psalm written most likely around the time of Daniel or a little bit later. That those of you who've been with us over the last few months, um, we, we looked at the, the life of Daniel. And Daniel lived in a time when Israel um, had been removed from their country. Their temple had been torn down. Their cities had been, um, li- were lying in, in ruins. And so the psalm, it, it's written after Israel has experienced all of this, most likely. And so Psalm 85, it's written from a dark and chaotic place, remembering the past, when they, when they uh, lived in the land, they worshipped in the temple and their cities were, were prospering. And yet, if you look at verses 1 through 3, that's not the thing the psalmist talks about. He doesn't talk about life when it was so good and we had homes and our city was like this and the temple looked like it. He doesn't talk about that. He talks about something else. And if you look in, in verses 1 through 3, it's, it's when God was favorable. It's when God restored his people, when he forgave iniquity, he covered sin, he withdrew his wrath and his anger. The psalmist's attention in, in verses 1 to 3, it's not to the external conditions of Israel's life, it's, it's drawn somewhere else. Because when I look back on the past and I think, boy, things were really good back then. They weren't really good back then, right? You just remember some ideal stay. Like, I remember, yes, Missy and I could have gone on dates whenever we wanted to when we first got married, but we had no money, so we couldn't, right? I forget that. And so he's not, he, the psalmist isn't going back and saying, uh, remember that past ideal time? He, he's focused somewhere else. There's only one subject driving all the action in verses 1 through 3. There's only one focus, and it's the Lord. Lord, you were favorable. You restored. You forgave. You covered. You withdrew. You turned. The peace, it's not, it's not when the conditions of your life line up the way you want them to. Peace is, is when God is present amongst the chaos, amongst the noise, when, when God invades your chaos. 
with his favor, with his restoration, with his forgiveness. So I think it's worth pausing on that question. What is, what is peace um, to you? What would, it, what would it look like? What would change? I think the more important question is, what, does God even have to be, is God even in that picture? Or could all of that be accomplished? Could all of that be uh, present without God? Because the psalmist can't imagine peace without God. Psalms, or verses 1 through 3 are, are all about God and his presence amongst his people. And so he's not asking for circumstances to change. He's asking for more of God. And so as he, he moves on in verses 5 and 6. There's this question of God, you, you seem distant from us. So will you be angry with us forever? Will you stay far from us forever? Will you, will you revisit us? Will you come back? And it all leads up to verse 8 where we get the verse about peace where the psalmist says this. He says, let me hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. So the psalmist, he's reflecting on how God isn't near like he wants him to be. And then he pauses and says, now, God, I'm going to listen for you to speak. Now, I would say the most chaotic place in the world is the place where, where God is not speaking. Where he's not the center of the universe. Where he's not welcomed, where he's not invited, where he's not placed in the center of everything going on. And so I would say our, our chaos, our restlessness, it's a sign that we put ourselves in that place at the center of our universe. I think that's why we have such a hard time with, with silence. Why we keep ourselves so distracted and, and chaotic. Right, Louis C.K. says, well, it's, that's because there's no God and you're alone. That's why we cover. I don't think that's it. I think it's because there is a God and we've run from him. And we put ourselves at the center of the universe. And, we, and, and the result of that is, is, is chaos and, and, and noise. And so Sherry Turkle, in her book, um, Reclaiming Conversation, The Power of Talk in a Digital Age, she points out that our connectedness through our phones, through the Internet, through social media, actually it works to create a universe where you and I put ourselves at the center um, so here's what she writes. Says, Our mobile devices seem to grant three wishes, as though gifts from a benevolent genie. First, that we will always be heard. Second, that we can put our attention wherever we want it to be. And third, we will never have to be alone. And the granting of these three wishes implies another reward, that we will never have to be bored. <clears throat> that she doesn't put it like this, but, but as I reflected on that quote this week, what she's describing is, is a reality where I'm at the center of my universe, right? My voice is most important. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I got something to say, and everyone's got to hear it, right? Or I want to be entertained, entertain me, put my, put my attention where I want it to be at all times. And what I don't want to say is, is neither she nor I would say, you know, the, the phone's the devil box, you got to throw it away. I'm not saying that um, at all. But, but what they do, what the internet, what our phones do is provide a glimpse into our souls, that we put ourselves at the center of our, our universe, where our voice is most important, where our experience is most important, where our entertainment is most important. It's a symptom, not, not the problem itself. And so why, why are we stuck in, in chaos? Why are we restless? Right, when it comes to your parenting, when it comes to your work, when it comes to your friendships, your deepest relationships, why is there a restlessness about us? Well, the way we find peace, according to Psalm 85, it's, it's not through our circumstances change. It's not when everything lines up the way you want it to be. It is when the Lord speaks, according to verse 8. 
So why is there they're welcome, or why is there chaos? It's because God's not welcome. He's not living in the center of our universe. We try to live as the subjects, as the primary actors in our lives. We do all the talking. We do all the entertainments. And so peace, then, is when God invades into that space and takes over the center. So that's why we have chaos, which raises the question, okay, well, what, how does that, what does that look like? What do we need for peace? How do we invite God in to the center? And so as I mentioned, the first seven verses of the psalm, they're mostly, they're, there's chaos, right? There's sin that needs to be forgiven. There's the potential anger of God because he's withdrawn himself from his people. And so the first seven verses are, are sort of disorientation and the, the chaoticness, the, the restlessness. And then verse 8 becomes where everything changes. From verse 8 on, everything in the psalm sort of goes quiet and positive. And it all starts with three words. Let me hear. Let me hear what the Lord God will speak. So God wants to invade. Whatever it is that, that makes your heart restless, whatever it is that, that, that makes peace so elusive to you, God wants to invade into that place. But it requires us to listen. Right? Let me hear what the Lord God will speak. And so as we walk through Psalm 85, three things about listening um, that, that I see here that are important. At first, listening, it's, it's silence. Right? Let me hear is not let me speak. Right? Let me say, I got something to say. It's let me be quiet. Let me be silent. And so do you create space for silence and solitude in, in your life? And this is a challenge, um, especially if, if you have young kids, um, if you have a job, if you have a television, if you have internet access, if you're a breathing human being, this is a difficult thing for you to do, right? It's silence and solitude. But you need this space. You need to carve out time for this practice. Let me hear what the Lord God will speak. But I don't want to be misunderstood there because our popular culture uh, tends to, in, to interpret or think about meditation in a couple ways that are completely uh, against the Christian tradition of what meditation is or of what let me hear what the Lord God will speak means. That first, Psalm 85, it's not, about, it's not about focusing on yourself, right? This isn't about having you time or, or me time, um, because I don't, I don't know about you, but like the worst thing I can do is, is talk to myself about myself, right? I tend to do one of two things. I'm either really overly critical and I think about the ways I let people down, which I've begun to realize that most people actually weren't aware of all the ways I've let them down, right? It's just, it's, self, it's bad self-talk. And the other way is I tend to think way too highly of my capabilities and, and giftedness, right? Like I I think I hit a home run, and really I didn't, and, and everyone's just like, why is he running around the bases? Isn't that good, right? I, I tend to be overly negative, overly positive. And so the psalmist isn't saying, let me hear what I have to say. No, it is, I'm going to be quiet. I'm not going to fill my, my mind with my words. It's let me hear what the Lord God will speak. And, and the other way that, that this is different than typical meditation as it gets laid out, is it's not, there's not silence here. Right, Christian, it's different than other religions, other faiths, because we're not trying to center ourselves. We're not trying to empty ourselves. Rather, we're trying to hear the right voice, the right word. It's why when I encourage you to do solitude or silence, I would absolutely say that that should be accompanied with scripture reading. God is going to speak, and then you listen to that voice. It's why we've encouraged you with um, the, song, the cards that we handed out last week about memorizing verses from the Psalms of the next several weeks. To take, take a few minutes this week, memorize that psalm. Sit in silence or solitude and let those words pour over you. Listening is silence. Letting the Lord speak over you. So listening is silence, one. But listening is it's, it's communal, second. Uh, there's a turn in verse 8. The psalmist says, let me hear what the Lord God will speak. But then he, he says, for he, for God, will speak peace to his people. 
Right, so there's this turn from all of us individually having a posture of listening before the Lord to then we turn out and we have words to say, which are peace, to the people around us. And so the image we get is of God's people corporately listening to the Lord together and being formed and shaped by his voice of peace. So Psalm 85, it's, it's, a, it's a plural psalm. This isn't an individualistic psalm. This is a psalm for corporate worship. God, we're asking, will you hide your anger from us, right? We, we want you to speak your peace to us. We want, this is a corporate experience of God's people. And so the Christian life, um, as you read through the New Testament, as you read through the Psalms, and we hear, uh, we see uh, worship described, it's very rarely an individualistic project. It's almost always plural. It's you, it's the congregation, it's the people of God. The trouble is, we, we as the American church have largely created worship, um, recreated it in the last 20 to 30 years as an individualistic experience. So sometime in the late 80s or 90s, um, the meaning of our corporate worship just sort of slowly shifted from like the people gathered to, we want you to have a really good time. We want you to have a meaningful experience. And so in many churches, uh, what that meant was the first thing we did was we took all of the kids out of worship. And we, we put them into different rooms around the building because um, children tend not to be uh, an, an enhancing of personal experience of worship, right? I had my three-year-old in here last week, and I was worried he was going to break something or set something on fire, mostly during the whole morning. Um, and another move that, that we made was, was almost everything that began to happen from a ministry standpoint, whether it was, it was what happens on stage or what happens through the week, became um, the prerogative of paid staff and not congregants so we could up the quality um, of what was, was done, so to speak. And listen, there, there are good reasons for doing those two things, right? I'm, um, I'm grateful for age-specific ministry, ministry geared towards teaching children at their developmental stage. That's never been better than what it is today. I'm grateful for that. Um, I'm grateful also because I grew up in a church where if, if it was like American Idol, if you wanted to sing a solo, you got to on a Sunday morning. And uh, there were some awkward Sunday mornings. Where people just didn't have the gift of singing but got to sing all the time, right? I wasn't grateful for that. The quality went down. It was weird. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for those sorts of, of things, but... The Psalms in the New Testament, worship is not an individualistic experience. It's not a concert. It's God forming his people. And as we listen to his voice, he speaks peace and forms a whole congregation together of all ages, of all backgrounds, of all types of people. And so as we think through that, because we want to be a church that, that lives into what worship is in the scriptures, it has two implications for us. First, um, communal listening, when it comes to listening as a community, it means our primary focus as worship, as we gather, is not an individualistic experience, but on being formed as the people of God. Right? We, in other words, our goal this morning isn't that you have a really meaningful experience. We hope that happens. But our, our real goal is that God is going to form a church of different people, different ages, different, different hobbies, different backgrounds, together into one people. And so that, that's one reason why we just, we've committed to doing uh, student and children ministry very differently um, here. So last week we had uh, family worship, which meant we had um, children in here, uh, basically two years and up um, in the service. And, and the reason for that is because they, they are a part of the people of God and they need to be formed with us as a congregation. They need to learn what, it is, what communion is. They need to learn what singing is. They need to learn what the word of God is. Is and not that they can't do that in their age specific uh, ministry. That's why we'll continue to do that, and it's it's important. Um, but what what studies have shown is that when you do all ministry for age specific and you silo kids out of the out of the congregation, out of the people, 
they never get formed into the people of God. And what, what, what studies have shown is if, if kids aren't worshiping um, with adults on Sunday morning, they're, they're far less likely to retain faith into adulthood. And that, that's what we want. We don't want kids who have faith till 18. We want kids who have faith till 80, right, till into adulthood. And to do that, they need to be formed with us as the people of, of God. So that, that's one implication. The other implication then for us, communal listening, um, it first means Sunday morning's not just about a good individualistic experience. It's about being formed as the people of God. But secondly, um, communal listening, it means we need your voice, right? The pastors, our, our task isn't to do all the ministry. It's to empower the ministry to happen across our congregation. And so verse 8, what, what is clear is that all of us, as we individually have postures of hearts who, who are listening to the Lord, we're able to speak peace to those around us. So a few ways that work. One, uh, you might notice I almost never serve communion um, on a Sunday morning. I try not to um, unless there's like an emergency and I got to pop up and do it really fast because I, I need other people to speak over me. Tim, his body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. People, I say that all the time. I need people to say that to me. It's why on Sunday morning we have a time where we gather to pray before the service. I, I try not to lead that time. So people are praying and speaking over me. I need that as much as, as, as anyway. Or a third example. Um, there, there's some congregants in our, our church who memorized um, Psalm 91 not too long ago. And Psalm 91, it's a psalm about God protecting you from enemies who, who attack you, not just like metaphorically, but like literally they're shooting arrows at you. And God is your shield, he's your protection when your life is, is on the line. And so, uh, so these congregants memorized Psalm 91 and they had a neighbor who was going to be deployed to Afghanistan um, a few months back. And and so they, they reached out to him and they said, you're going to Afghanistan. Psalm 91 has become incredibly meaningful to us. We think you should memorize Psalm 91. Own that as a family and, and, and have it as you, before you go over to, to Afghanistan. And so this family did. Um, spread out, some in college, some students at home. Um, and he was deployed to Af- Afghanistan a few months back. And just a few weeks ago, um, there was, I don't know if you saw this, a suicide bombing um, in Afghanistan on one of our bases um, someone had snuck in and gotten in, and, and this man was supposed to be there as a part of this fun run, right where the bombing happened, but instead he'd been called away, um, an emergency happened somewhere else in the country. He'd been called away last second and wasn't present for where the bombing was. And, and his, his text back to the stakes, back to the congregants who attended his church was, um, I'm safe, Psalm 91. Right, not just, and, and I know that can sound, we, we can make that sound cheesy, but, but there's a genuine feeling of God has promised me peace, and I'm experiencing peace in the midst of bombs going off all around us, all around me. All because congregants here, not pastors, not paid staff, went to, had heard the Lord speak to them through Psalm 91 and shared it, and it has spoken peace to their neighbors. And so we need your voice, right? Listening, it's not just about us being silently individually before the Lord. It's communal. It's all of us hearing from God and then speaking that peace to our neighbors and to one another. So listening, it's silence, it's, it's communal, and lastly, it's, it's, it's fearing, the, 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 the worst one of the three. All right, so verse 9 says that, that surely God, his salvation is near to those who fear in the, the Hebrew scriptures, the word salvation is very close to the word of peace. That God's salvation just doesn't just mean, um, hey, you avoid bad consequences. It, it means a flourishing, a, a wholeness, a restoration. And so what the psalmist is saying is those who f- have a posture of fearing towards God experience and know his salvation, his peace. So what does it mean to, to, fear, to fear God? We can, go, we can talk a lot about that, but, but one thing it really means here in, in Psalm 85 is it, fear means obedience. 
Uh, just to fear God is to be obedient and do what he says. It's why the psalm ends the way it does. With righteousness, we'll go before him and make footsteps, make his footsteps away. What that saying is you end the psalm and you get up and you rise and you walk into the, the righteous way of God. You do what he says. You live into what he commands you to do. And so listening, it's, it's not just about us hearing and God speaks to us and we feel better about ourselves. But then it's we, we, we rise and we walk out into his way and we act the way he calls us to act. Which might explain why I don't want to ever listen to him. Right? Or why you don't. Because he's going to make demands. He's going to say, you have to go this way. You have to walk in these steps. Which is a, a part of what makes verse 8 so interesting to me. The psalmist pauses. He says, let me hear what God the Lord will speak. But then he goes ahead and says what God's going to say. For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. How does he know that? How can we know that, that if we pause, if we listen to God, he's not just going to point out all the ways you're not good enough, all the ways you're not living into his obedience, all the ways you feel. How do you know he'll speak peace to us, right? So we live in chaos because we, we, put God, we put ourselves in the center of the universe, not God. So what we need for peace is listening. But how do we know that if we actually listen, we'll get peace? How do we get it? Well, the psalmist says in verse 9, surely... God's salvation, it comes near to those who, who fear him, that glory may dwell on our land. The second half of, of verse 9. And then the psalmist, he goes on. He just imagines God's glory visiting his people in verses 10 and 11. It, it's where steadfast love and faithfulness meet. It's where righteousness and peace kiss each other. It's where faithfulness springs up from the earth and faithful, or righteousness looks down from the sky. Where heaven and earth come together is what he describes. If God's glory dwells and visits us. Which if you've read ahead into the New Testament, you know that's precisely how John, a Jewish man who knew Jesus for many years, described Jesus' visitation to us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Now, the psalmist is praying for God's glory to dwell among us. Right, for the steadfast love and peace to come together, for righteousness and faithfulness to spring up from the ground and come down from the sky. And, and that's true in Jesus. In Jesus, God's glory dwells among us. Which is, if you and I, if we pause this week, if we took time and we let God the Lord speak to us, this is why we know he'll speak peace to us. Right, it's Christmas. Right, Christmas is God invading our chaos. It's God inviting himself into the center of your life, right? It's not him waiting for you to come up and figure him out. It's him interrupting your life and entering into the center of what you're doing. And, and in that, in God invading into our space, there is, there is peace. But it's not some cheesy Christmas cardy peace, right? In verse 10, the psalmist in particular asks for the, the love of God and the faithfulness of God, which is, is another word of saying truth, the, the love of God and the truth of God to meet one another, Right, but the truth is, on earth, is we're restless, we're chaotic, right? We're noisy because we put ourselves in the center of our universe. We've run from God. We don't listen to God. That's the truth of the lives in which we live. And so how can we, we who have ignored God, who have turned away from him, who do not listen to him, how can we expect him to speak peace to us? Because in Christmas, right, God does doesn't speak peace to us from, from heaven. He doesn't come down in righteous indignation. He comes down in a manger. 
right? The first sign, God is very unlike us in how he says what he wants to say, right? He's not screaming on Facebook. He is poor and in a manger. Whereas we stiffen our necks in pride and disobedience against God, he, his, his neck gets as soft as an infant's. Whereas we focus on ourselves and put ourselves at the center of our universe and live in chaos, he focuses on others, enters into that chaos, and knows peace. And whereas we, we like to talk about ourselves and to ourselves and about ourselves, he comes to dwell among us, to know us, to listen to us, to end our self-focused chatter, and to hear what God really has to say. To listen to us. And God then speaks peace. Jesus speaks peace. Not, not from the heavens, right? Not, for, not in righteous indignation. He speaks peace from a cross. All right, it's, it's from the cross where Jesus speaks peace to you and to us even now. It's how we can know what the psalmist says in verse 12. God will give us what is good. He's given us his son who has spoken peace from a cross. And so it's, it's because of the cross that if this week you take a moment, you pause, you, you enter into silence and solitude, you pray, verse 8, let me hear what God the Lord will speak. You know what he will say. He will speak peace to you from his cross. But will we be listening? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, would you show us your steadfast love and grant us your salvation? Let us hear you speak, and would you speak your peace to your people, that we would not turn back to folly this week. For your salvation is near to those who fear you, and your glory has dwelt among us in the person of Jesus. Would you show him to us, we pray. Amen. One of the ways we, uh, we remind ourselves of who Jesus is, what he's done, is, is through communion, right? It's, peace comes from a cross, through a body broken, through blood being shed for us. Um, and so we practice open communion here at Christ Community, which means you don't have to be a member of our church to participate in this meal. Um, you need to have made a profession of faith in, in Christ, but if you have made a profession of faith in Christ, come in groups of four to six, take the bread, dip it in the juice, um, eat it together at the instruction of those who are serving you. We have a gluten-free option available um, on that side. We have two stations. We put the other station back into the corner there, so two kind of back corner stations. Um, but take your time, reflect, um, enter into a space of silence, solitude, and let the Lord, um, his, the Lord your God speak peace to you.